welcome to the Fight for Our Existence podcast. This is your host, Uncle Fox. And today I got a special guest uh, um, from Seminole Tribe of Florida, Cheyenne Kippenberger. And are you there, Cheyenne? Hi, I'm here. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, thanks. How oh, are you? Oh, good, good. How's the weather out there? It's hot. It was like 96 out here today. I think our peak was 102 midday. <laughs> oh, man. Here it's it's the same, but it's it's dry heat. So, I mean, I'd rather have dry heat than, you know, humidity because I used to live out in the Ooh, coast. So. I cannot say the same thing. I'm definitely a humidity girl. I shrivel <laughs> up every time I'm in the Midwest. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, oh, that humidity, huh? that gets to me. I, I'm like, I gotta go back to Arizona. I need that dry heat. So, but yeah, it's definitely. I always hot. tell people I feel like dry SpongeBob when I come out to the Midwest. I just get off the plane and like all the moisture leaves my body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty bad here. So, but I mean, I I got used to it. So you know, you go from the AC to your your vehicle to AC to work and stuff like that. So not too bad. Unless I go to the ceremony, then it's hot. You know, but yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so what you been working on lately? Oh, so I'm sure, I mean, I get this question all the time. It's like, what do you do that you're everywhere all the time? <laughs> and I always tell people, I'm like, I have a real nine to five job that I do. And that is actually leading communications for a national nonprofit called the Center for Native American Youth. Okay. It is at the Aspen Institute based in Washington, D.C., but I work remotely. And so that's my nine to five. But yeah. I also do motivational speaking. I do consulting work. I do a lot with native pageantry production as well as programmatic work. I work with contestants um, by coaching. I um wow i do so much sometimes i'm like how do i even like break this down <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but you yeah. know i i enjoy like dancing i try to like somehow still fit in time to hang out with family and things like that but you know after just my experiences as miss florida seminole and miss indian world it's really kind of set this path for like I like to think of it as community, like civil service. Yeah. You know, I, I always think about like, why do I do the things that I do? And it's just because education awareness towards non-native people is also really important for the progression of our people. And I think about like this pageantry world that I'm involved in and the type of empowerment and the type of spaces that that gives our young women Yeah. and the like motivational speaking where I just talk about my experiences as like being a high school dropout and my experiences with depression, anxiety, therapy, yes. and even medication and trying to break down those stereotypes. And yeah. it's all, it all leads back to community really. And I mm -hmm. mean, even my nine to five job, I feel really blessed to be working with a team that is literally just dedicated to native youth empowerment and enhancing their lives. And what do you, what do you try to like, for the native youth, like, what do you try to, you know, let them see or understand, uh, have them understand what's, you know, what you're trying to do for them? I think letting them see that this experience of, like, these different hardships, unfortunately, that are so common in a lot of our communities, like, 
high dropout rates, like high pregnancy rate, like teen mm-hmm. pregnancy rates, you know, um, you know, even touching on suicide, like mental health stigmas, yes. medications, like access, internet access, even like all of these things are so common, but I feel that they're not talked about enough. And so I remember when I was going through probably my worst depressive episode and I felt like I was the only person feeling that way. And I thought that it was just a soul experience that Cheyenne was going through. And when I finally started learning about depression, learning about anxiety, when I finally gave in and went to therapy, I realized that this was something that actually most of my family, community and friends have experienced. And I didn't even know what it was called. And so if I'm sitting here having this revelation, right, sitting on this couch in this therapist's office, like (laughs) other people should be having this revelation too. Yes. And so I felt because of the experience that I had and like this knowledge that I was obtaining, it was my job to continue sharing that knowledge yeah. and that that experience so that they would know I'm not the only person that's gone through this and yeah. you know the idea of taking antidepressants doesn't have to be so scary it doesn't have to be so stigmatized talking about mental health like what is it what is depression what mm-hmm. is bipolar disorder even PTSD all of these different things yeah. you know if we can normalize the conversations then we can start healing as a community we can be in control of that healing as well yeah. You know, because I feel that also kind of taking into consideration that, you know, a lot of our communities don't have the access that some other communities do. And mm-hmm. so how do we acknowledge that gap in access, that gap in resources? And so it turned into just talking about it. Yeah. Well, it started with just talking about it, but then it turned into what do we do about it and how do we go about like fixing it really? Yeah. And so... I mean, it's been really neat. It's I didn't think that this is what it was going to turn into like all these years ago when I started doing it. But, yeah, you know, I was really proud of this opportunity I had where I got to present in front of Congress and advocate for more allocated finances to go to tribal communities so that we could have mental health care facilities. We could oh, have awesome. mental health professionals yes. that we're not only able to come in and help, but also understand like our culture and our history so that we could have culturally competent care, yeah. you know, and our people could like literally just have resources to be able to address some of these things in our community. And so I, it's weird. I look back to when I was like <laughs> this 16 year old dropout and yeah. never would I have imagined 10 years later, like this would, this would be what my life is. Well, that's good because, you know, like traditionally, I, I don't know if it's traditionally, but a lot of times when, um, things happen to the youth or like, you know, yourself or like me or like, I mean, just um, boy or girl, it's always taught like to don't talk about it. You know what I mean? Like you just kind of, you just don't talk about it. And so everybody just kind of buries it. And then, you know, like, so like you said, the suicide rate will go up, but that's how people are, you know, when you're young, you're taught that way. So I think that that's something that we need to get out of. It's hard because that is what like the norm has become for so many people and so many families. And I started questioning like, why is it like that? And then you realize our people have been in survival mode for so long. Yes. You know, like, like we got to think about first contact and it's like, our people have experienced violence 
for so long and it may not blatantly be our communities literally getting burned down and our people being forcefully relocated anymore mm -hmm. but now it's become this survival to just exist in a world that didn't want us here yeah. and that is hard you know to be to constantly having to like tell people like no we're still here that's yeah. hard and then you know being forced onto reservations the way that we were you know we our entire lives were taken away from us our normalcy was taken away from us and you know because of literally colonization like our our health has been compromised our eating habits have been compromised like we had to fight for ceremony we had to fight for literally everything that yes. we have right now and so that's when i realized like we're just we're, we're still in survival mode like we've never had the grace to be able to just be and that is so so difficult and then thinking about the the pressures and the the toll of feeling like i have to like leave my community to be able to make a difference too or you know just there's just so many layers that fall into it and you know with all of the advocacy work that i've done like mm -hmm. within these last few years it's it's been like slowly pulling back these layers and it's really ugly but i tell people all the time like you can literally look at the majority if not all of our issues as native and indigenous people and they literally all stem from colonization yeah definitely because i mean you're always taught like you know like when i was on when i was on the reservation i was taught to get an education leave the reservation get an education you know you know a degree and then come back and help mm -hmm. your people you know and, and mm -hmm. that's one of the things that you know my my family has told me you know and so a lot of so a lot of kids try to do that and then a lot of kids just stay you know just to, to be at home yeah, to be safe it's hard. yeah exactly it's hard it's like why do we have to leave our communities to find success you know yeah. and then it's been even an uphill battle to even change that perception of like what is success as a native or indigenous person mm -hmm. and it was it was different back then you know being successful meant like coming home from a really good hunt and feeding your community it meant yeah you know being a seamstress and being able to create clothing for your people or you know being the person in the community that was like really good at building traditional homes and again all those things were literally taken away from us and so yeah we've had to find a new way of being successful that i don't think is as fulfilling as those other things that were deemed as successful traditionally speaking and you know it's it's hard it's hard being a modern native person yeah and, it is uh, you know every day <laughs> i i experience these things too you know and i i try to be very open on my social media and mm -hmm. like just let people know like you know you could even looking at my life you know sometimes i sit here and i'm like you're so lucky and blessed to have all these things that you have and the experiences and it's like sometimes i still wake up and i'm like this doesn't do it for me still like why do yeah. i feel this way and then i have to kind of walk myself through the things that i've learned through therapy and like addressing imposter syndrome and addressing you know these these challenges that we face because we are traditional people trying to navigate living in a modern world yes and there's no handbook for that. Like nobody tells you how to do that from generation to generation. Like we've had to figure out just different ways of doing that. And, you know, shout out to everybody that's just trying to break these intergenerational traumas and curses. Yeah. Cause <laughs> we're all, we're all doing it. <laughs> 
that, you know, and then another thing, like the one thing that caught my ear with with you was that um, that speech you had for that land acknowledgement, because mm. a lot of times um, for us, like as we fight for Oak Flat, you know, Oak Flat is a area that's not on a reservation. So a lot of the non-A's would be like, you know, why are you fighting for us? It? Not even on your land. That, you know, res- <laughs> that was our land. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people mm-hmm. don't know. Like here in Arizona, like everyone goes to Sedona. Sedona used to be our land, you know. Everybody goes to Grand Canyon. That was our land, you know. You know, Oak Flat. That's our land, you know. So when we fight for it, they don't understand why, because it's not, you know, why it's not on. Tri- it's not on your land. Yeah, because it's yeah. not like blatantly tribal land. Yeah. But there's also just that ugly idea that you got your reservation land. Like get over it. And yeah. Like first of all, first of all. We used to be walking all over Florida, all over Arizona and everything before your people came here. (laughs) So don't be trying to tell me that we should be content with like the little bit of land that we have. Because I get really angry when people say that because my reservation is 88 acres in Hollywood. Yes. That's it. My people have 88 acres for one of our reservations here in Florida. Mm -hmm. And so when people are like, oh, shut up, get over it. Like you have a reservation. It's like, Girl, there's people with like for fun ranches with more land than my yeah. people. And we're over here trying to figure out housing and like IHS clinics and just like a recreation center for our yeah. people. And so there is this very, very big disconnect of understanding and I think even like the emotional side of what it is to have experienced the land loss our people experience. Yeah. And they don't understand that, yeah, just because it's not tribal land, like it's not in trust, it's not technically reservation land, like we still feel for that land. We still mourn the loss of that land and we still carry the responsibility to to take care of that land. Mm-hmm. And, you know, within that speech that I, it was supposed to be just like a very nonchalant land acknowledgement, but I yeah. absolutely refused to be anything but nonchalant and yeah. i i was like no these people need to hear yeah they need like, to know yeah the pain yeah. the anger the importance of what it is to know the relationship that we have with these lands mm-hmm. and i genuinely feel that no matter what tribal nation you go to what region you go to like we all just have this deep deep love for who we are and deep love for the lands that we are we are on and have traditionally come from as well and i remember sitting down trying to write this speech and i'm like is this too much like am i gonna be the angry native woman was what kept going through my head and Again, I am so blessed to work with the team that I have at the center or work with at the Center for Native American Youth. And I remember reading it to them like the morning. I think it was like literally the morning that we were like of the event starting and I was supposed to read it later that afternoon. And we're like in my hotel room and I'm like, what do you guys think? And they were like, read it just like that. (laughs) And I was like, are you sure? Is it too much? And I'm like, no, no, no. Like read it just like that. And... I did. I talked about like the pain that I felt and I'm sure the pain that my ancestors feel to see what's been done to this land. Yeah. And I needed them to understand that this is like these things are occurring and the lands are suffering and they're going through what they're going through because 
of colonization because of things like manifest destiny and things like the idea of land ownership like mm-hmm. you can't own these lands you can't own water you can't own air i remember learning the first time that you can get something called air rights so that people can't fly over certain places and like things along those lines and i was like wait what <laughs> like people pay for that is yeah. that even like how do you do that and how do you even measure that you know and yeah so I was like, oh, five, five miles over my house. Okay. And I I just, I don't know. I just felt this this responsibility to deliver that, mm-hmm. that day. And I'm incredibly proud of that speech. It was written with so much love and so much intent. And I thought of my family. I thought of my ancestors, like my grand, my great grandparents. And I was thinking about like my future children and my future grandkids yeah. and their grandkids, because I'm sitting here thinking just within my lifetime and I'm very young, I'm only 26. Yeah. And so just within my lifetime, everything around me in my, my home area is different. It's completely changed. It's developed over. And my little brother who is 13 is also going through that experience to where everything he's seeing as a kid is now gone. Yeah. And so I yeah. just Yeah. Like it's it's, it's really hard. It's, it's frustrating really emotional. And then that's what I was saying, like, you know, when we fight for land and um people see that, you know, like we we're fighting for you too. You know, we're fighting for mm-hmm. all races. You know, we we're trying to you know, save the water for all for everyone, not just you know the like for Oak Flat, not just the Apaches. It's for everybody. You know that we're trying to hold on to this land that we have left. You know, and we don't want to um, create a disaster on this land. So, a lot of times exactly. people don't understand. It, it they don't. There's like that that disconnect, right? And so, one of the things that I try to do, you know, within these like educational presentations that I give sometimes. Um, is I tell my audience like just just wipe clean everything you've ever been taught about like the United States, everything you've been mm-hmm. taught about natives, everything you've been taught about like this idea of land ownership and like just just absorb what I'm telling you. And I would explain to them like this historical relationship that my people have with the Everglades here in Florida mm-hmm. and you know the relationship that we had the relationship that was based in based on reciprocity and respect and acknowledgement and harmony and exchange not transaction and understanding that you know when our people were fleeing settlers when they were here in florida and they were trying to literally eradicate us you know my people fled south and we hid in the everglades yeah we hid in the everglades and because of the everglades because of the protections that she gave us you know we were able to clothe ourselves we were able to feed ourselves we were able to house ourselves and we were literally able to hide out until they just gave up looking for us mm-hmm. and you know that that strategy was rooted in historical knowledge and a relationship that outdates anything that these settlers could have even imagined and because we had this relationship and we had this understanding like we were literally masters of this land and we were able to accomplish that and because of that because of what the knowledge our my ancestors held like i'm here today yes 
And we don't take that lightly. We take so much pride in who we are and all native people do, you know, Mm -hmm. and we take pride in our lands. And so I tell these people, because we understood what the Everglades was able to do for us, we knew that in exchange, our responsibility was to protect her. And we are protectors of this being, this being that does not have a voice for itself. Mm And we stand for her and we know what she is. We know what she does. We know how she operates. We understand her connections to the land and the animals and everything, the water, like all of this makes up this greater balance than sometimes some of us can understand. And when you can take, when you can step away from that very individualistic mindset of like me, myself, I, this is what I own. This is what I want. And you, you then put yourself into a different understanding of community, of balance, of respect and re- reciprocity. Like that's that is when they can start to see how we think mm-hmm. as Native and Indigenous people. And so when I, I express to them, like I love the Everglades, I love where I come from, I love the beaches here, and I know that my job as a vo- as of like a person with a voice. To protect this voiceless being, because that's what the Everglades is. That's what Oak Flat is. That's yeah. what these mountains we're trying to protect are. These rivers, these these all these different landscapes, these sacred spaces to us. Like they are all living beings. Mm-hmm. The same way the plants are. The same way trees are. The same way animals are. Water is a living being. The air is living. The land is living. And the sooner that they, as in like settlers, just non-native people can understand that, the, the easier it is for them to grasp that what we're doing is important, not because it solely serves protecting our people, but it's for everybody's greater good. It is literally for the greater good. And so within this speech, I remember at the very end, I had written this sentence and I was like, they need to know that this is not just like a native people issue. Like this is a native people issue. This is an everybody issue. Like if we don't all get behind climate justice, if we don't all get behind these climate protections, then all of us pay the price. It's not just us. It's not just minoritized communities. Mm -hmm. And so at the very end, I don't remember how I said it, but I was like, you know, like we need to come together to do this, not just for my people or in honor of my ancestors, but for your grandkids. Yes. And your your grandkids, grandkids, like what type of world do you want to leave for them? Is it one that is, you know, suffering? It is one. Is it one that lacks clean water? Is it one that lacks clean air? Like what, it, what do you want to leave for them? Mm-hmm. Because if there's no protecting the land, why, why do you keep buying it? You know, it's not going to be there anymore is the point. Yeah, it always seems like, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, as natives, we're always in survival mode. And so um, we're always trying to think of what we can do to help the land. And um, just like with Oak Flat, you know, oh, you won't see it in another 40 years. Well, that that's going to come quick, you know, 40 years, 40, 60 yeah, 40 years, years down the road. Yeah, it's not that <laughs> far away, you know, because my my dad's tribe in uh, California, you know, they, they, they mined um, quicksilver there and and like in 1890s, right by my uh, pommel land. And now today, you know, we can't swim in a lake, you know, and that that affected us today, you know, affected the water. And, you know, a lot of people had died from cancer, you know, because it was polluted, you know, toxic. So, so like when people say with Oak Flat and what, you know, other lands, like, oh, it's not going to, 
I was that's down the future. Well, that that's gonna come quick. It's gonna it's gonna come right away. You know all the all the stuff that yeah, we're doing now. Yeah, and the fact that 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 forty year timeline is so nonchalant. It's yeah. like, oh, that's pretty concerning. Like that's that's within our lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> like I plan on being alive in forty years, <laughs> and I don't want to see that. So let's do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, and and like for us um, in St. Carlos, it's not. It's, that's not our land. It's 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 actually a prison camp. You know, it's people got sent there, and so um, we're all just on wasteland, really, right now. You know, in St. Carlos. And sometimes, what I was talking with the youth is because a lot of times youth doesn't realize that. You know, like the youth realize St. Carlos is their home. St. Carlos is their Apache. You know, homeland. No, it's not. You know, like. Is that something you try to do with your youth or, or let them know what, you know, like the history of the Seminoles? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, there's such a, an importance amongst my people for all of us to know, like our history and where we came from and, mm-hmm. you know, who we are and like why we are literally still here today. And so, you know, I mean, people are very proud people. We literally call ourselves the unconquered Seminole tribe of Florida. We take so much pride in the fact mm-hmm. that Andrew Jackson never got us. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, we, and we're going to keep rubbing it in people's faces forever yeah. because, you know, we, we outdate like the United States. We outdate these, like these like these, what do you even call it? Like things like the Indian Removal Act. You know, like mm-hmm. we outdate that. We outdate these, even like the names that they try to call these places, these street names. Like we outdate all these things. And, yeah. you know, we empower our youth in letting them know that, you know, they come from a strong lineage of people, that our ancestors were strong people that fought and they were warriors and they didn't give up because they knew that like literally the well-being of our people the future of our society as seminoles was dependent on like the decision making they made back then and so you know any we just celebrated our 65th anniversary for when we became a federally recognized tribe and you know when you look at that celebration everybody comes dressed up in their full traditional outfits you know we we celebrate just being here and one of the big things that's always acknowledged at anniversaries or just community events in general is that you know our ancestors fought for us to be here you know like they they suffered so much for us to be here and so the responsibility that we have as these modern seminoles as these modern native people is not only to live good lives but to protect our culture to preserve our culture our language our ways of life and making sure to pass on his like historically what our people have experienced yeah because who are we supposed to know who how are you supposed to know who you are if you don't know your history right mm-hmm. and so we're yeah well, that, that, that is just super important to my people yeah. and I, I just always remember hearing stories and like being at community events seeing everybody in their they're like their full traditional outfits and you know hearing the language being spoken and you know whether you grew up necessarily going to ceremony or not like you knew what it was you know what's done there and things like that and it's just kind of the baseline for our people yeah and that's the same like uh, what you're saying about the you know seminole tribe you know uh, my tribe uh, from st carlos but the band of 
Apaches is Chiricahua. You know, my great grandfather was Chiricahua Apache. So we're always, you know, prideful of that. You know, we're, oh, we're the last to surrender, you know, <laughs> and things mm-hmm. like that. But we, we also got sent to, um, most of the Chiricahuas got sent to Florida. I think it was Fort Pickens we got sent mm. to as a prison, um, prisoners of war. And we were out there um, for a while. I and mean, we had a lot of, lot of um, Chiricahua Apaches die out there, you know, not, not because where they were put at, but they'd never been, you know, to that kind of land. You know, they've been in the desert and the mountains, and so they got sick out there. And so I don't know how far, if you know where Fort Pickens at, you know, I don't really know the area of Florida. If I'm not mistaken, it's, it's like northern Florida. Because mm-hmm. when, um, you know, like when they were going through like the, the removal era in the southeast specifically, they were like taking people either to like it was like the west west the the northwest coast of florida okay and you would either get shipped through the gulf of mexico and they would take you to louisiana and you would march up into like oklahoma indian territory yeah or they would make you march like through georgia and through all those states to get to oklahoma and so most of those because what they were was imprisonment camps yeah you know most of them were in northern florida okay yeah that's where they were and then then they went to oklahoma yeah Mm mm-hmm Yep, and then from there, it was the same thing. It was like, no, you guys have to move again. And yeah. So it's it's interesting too because I mean, if you look at even historically, just the different experiences that all the all the regions went through too. You know, they're all there's there's many similarities, but there's also so many differences in that. Like I remember one of the first times I went to New Mexico and I learned about passive resistance and that was something that the Pueblos had practiced out there and instead of like outright fighting the Spanish and like their their conquer attempts they were almost convincing the Spanish that what they were doing was working but they were still secretly practicing their ways oh yeah and I was like wow that's really interesting because my people were outright like nah we're not doing this we're going to fight these people Yeah, <laughs> so, you know you're just looking at the practices of, of different communities and different regions it's, it's just it's all so so different and you know as obviously a southeastern native like that's a lot of what was what I was immersed into and taught growing up and you know when I was Miss Indian World and I started traveling and like hearing the specific stories to specific communities it was just you know all of it was just rooted in pride and in in the no in this this knowledge of like we have to think about future generations yeah. and then you look at us now and we still have that same mindset that same teaching of all right you know we our ancestors fought for us to be here but like now we need to fight for our future generations and what does that look like and mm-hmm. you know native and indigenous people are have always been at the forefront of climate justice and trying to fight for not only our own like sacred lands but literally just the well-being of the earth as a whole mm-hmm. and i mean the statistic is absolutely insane but 80 percent of the world's biodiversity is protected by indigenous people and we make up less than five percent of the world's population yeah you know, wow. and I mean, being yeah. more specific to the United States, we account for maybe one to two percent of the population here in the U.S. And wow. I mean, you look at any environmental justice story and if there there is no native people mentioned, then it's just bad journalism. But, you know, look at Standing Rock, look at the efforts for Oak Flat. I mean, I've been hearing about efforts for Oak Flat for years. Yeah. 
for years. I mean, looking at Bears Ear, looking at the Everglades, looking at, you know, the even the Mississippi River. Like, it's just, it feels like decades of these of these movements of these efforts, you know, have now kind of been passed on to like my generation even and it's exhausting like it's so exhausting to think like you know kind of touching back on that that piece that our people really never get to feel it's it's just this constant existence of feeling like you have to fight to live yeah and that's what i'm saying like we're always in survivor mode like every day you know mm-hmm. so it's something that we have to deal with you know in our lives and and fighting for land and fighting for water and just trying to you know let everybody know that is you know it's for everyone and that's the thing that i i still don't understand why people don't get that you know like that it's for them too and it's always about oh it's for the natives they're just trying to get more of their own land you know and it's, and it's not even about that yeah yeah no and that's where like the misconception the misunderstanding of what the land back movement is they think you know, oh, they have their reservations. You should be fine. You should be content. And it's like, no, 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 this isn't about reservation land. Like when mm-hmm. we say land back, we're talking about autonomy. Like mm-hmm. we are talking about, we want to be included, not even included. I'm sorry, but we need to be leading these conversations, leading the decision-making that has to do with land. And it's, I really hate it, but the, <laughs> like on Twitter, they're always talking about it where, all of a sudden these scientists or these scholars come out and they're like, we've discovered a way to stop wildfires or like we've discovered a way to to do yeah. this with water. And we're like, native people have been doing that forever. Yeah. Like y'all ain't discovering anything. And oh, it's exhausting because we're sitting here like, if you would have just listened to us, just listen, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you would have just listened to us and we have always been more than been open and giving with our knowledge systems for when colonizers came here you know we Mm. literally taught them how to feed themselves here and so we know how to how to treat wildfires like we know my people know how to navigate the everglades like Mm. your people have the understanding of oak flat like and that's why i say it's not just being included it's not just having a seat at the table like we want autonomy over these these decision making like processes and like these solutions that they're trying to come up with because they're not anything that's being presented is not new this is this is traditional like old school indigenous knowledge and teachings Mm -hmm. that have been passed down for generations that we're talking about and you know it, it also plays into this like totally like misguided understanding of our people that we were like these primitive like non or what is it like we were primitive and we weren't able or like able to or even understand like what to do with land because we didn't choose to build all over it and our people were like i said i say this all the time i'm like our people were scientists our people were botanists our people were doctors our people were Mm. mentors our people were athletes our people were artists long before they even had names for those things Mm -hmm. Right? right and so there's these these ideas that they think they're coming up with it's like those are not your ideas those were our people's ideas and our people deserve to be acknowledged in those ways and they deserve to be valued and compensated for those things as well and so you know it's 
just this continual rat race of having to prove that we exist, having to prove that our people weren't primitive, and then also flipping it around to tell them like, hey, we deserve to be acknowledged, but also be compensated for like the intellectual labor and emotional labor that we go through by having to teach you these things. And so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, it's frustrating when you think about all, you know everything like when people don't listen or, you know, like, um, you know, when it, you know you have Earth Day, you know, like for us we have Earth Day every day, you know, and just things like like that they don't understand about the environment and and they just see yes. for us it's always they we, the money always beats us then you know the environment and so we have a hard time in the fight because of the money and we you know we're not looking oh, at money. No, because yeah. we, you know, we don't do it for compensation. But again, you know, we live in a world where we have to, to like, we have to pay for things to live. Yeah. And so to ask our people to do this for free is just not only very disrespectful, mm. but it's also like a slap in the face to, and to just say like, oh, well, if you have the solutions, just give it to us. And it's like, it's, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not right. And it all, again, is like stemmed to colonization. It's stemmed to this, like, not only lack of representation, but it's like an inaccuracy of representation. And his, and like historically, they don't understand our people. Culturally, they don't understand our people. And, you know, our, our people are going to save the world. Yeah. Like we are going to save the land, we're going to save the water, and we're going to save the air. And it's not going to be because of a paycheck. It's going to be because we love who we are. We love our lands and we love our future generations. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter that we may not know them. We may never even get to meet them, but we love them and we do it for them. Yeah, and that's what like my uncle Winsler knows you, who is, a, you know, who's the leader of Patty Strong's hold. He always says, like, you know, if Mother Earth is hurt, then we're hurt, you know. And so we're all, we're both trying to heal, you know. And the way to do that is protecting the environment. So, you know, that that's something that um, we're doing every day. You know, we're, we're constantly mm-hmm. battling, you know, other other non, uh, non-natives to, to, to save this area. So. Exactly. It's just, it's but just I a like constant that. battle. What your uncle said, you know, yeah. when she's when she's hurting, we're hurting because I think that's literally what we're living through right now. You know, like these, for instance, I mentioned that it was 102 today here in Florida, mm-hmm. and you know, we're ha- we're seeing it across China, we're seeing it in Pakistan even right now, where these heat waves are literally so intense and like infrastructurally speaking, there's there's nowhere to pr- like there's no way to protect people, and mm-hmm. so you know, we're, we're seeing climate change happen. Like we're living through it right now. We're seeing heat waves. We're going to see like hurricane season is starting here in Florida and people are terrified down here. We haven't had a bad hurricane in a while, but I mean, I fear for like the hurricane season because it's scary and, Mm. you know, tornadoes are going to get worse and earthquakes are going to get worse because we're pulling the oil out of the ground. And, you know, with, like the heat levels rising, you know, that's that's literally directly correlates to hurricanes forming. And so, you know, the people that deny these things, I just literally don't understand it. Like I, I sit there and I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like we see it happening and people are suffering because of it. And it's not even people that, I mean, no one really deserves it, but 
the people that are experiencing the worst backlash of climate change are people are poor people they're yeah. minoritized communities and it's not it's not okay and so the sooner non-native people can understand that this flight this fight for climate change for climate justice for climate protections is not a non-native fight or it's not a native fight like it's a everybody's mm -hmm. fight like it ain't just it ain't just us experiencing this we're not the only ones that are getting gonna get the backlash like all of us are gonna go through this yes i know definitely and then like here um in arizona like i'll get a lot of people say um you know Oh, it's hot. Oh, you oh, you guys are used to the heat over there in Arizona, right? I'm like, no, we're not used to the heat. Like, you know, we used to, we had winter camps. <laughs> we used to go up in winter camps and, you know, be out there for the summer. We can't do that these days. So, yeah, we, you know, we weren't dumb. We weren't out in the sun all day, you know. We were, we had winter camps and in the mountains, but, you know, that's something that we can't do no more. You know, we have to rent a cabin or, you know, it's on someone else's land, you know, we have to get an airbnb for it you know and things like that but back then you could just you can just go out there you know and not be in the heat but you know we're not used to the heat you know it's, we would just move to no, a different it's, area it's the same same exact way down here i have to say like my whole i've lived my whole life here in south florida this has been the worst summer i have ever experienced mm -hmm. like there's just there was points i mean even in march we were reaching temperatures that we would have during our peak summer months of july and august and you could not go outside mm -hmm. like you couldn't and i mean florida is a, a central ac state and like like these central central ac systems couldn't even handle that heat yeah and so you would have no choice but to like close all your windows like cover them up and like make sure you had to be really strategic about how you ran your AC because if not your your light bill was absolutely insane and you know it creates it's it's a trickle effect not even a trickle effect it's a domino effect of issues yeah. and so all right like the baseline issue is that it's hot but then you have to think about like AC how are people going to stay cool is there like like these um you know like air conditioned spaces or places that people can go to mm -hmm. if they don't have like a strong ac system what if they don't have the money to run their ac like that you know and then we're talking about like young kids that have you know it's just that's what i'm saying like it's just this domino effect of issues yeah. and the people that are not able to sustain themselves and keep themselves cool are poor minoritized communities yeah definitely so when when you know how you started all this when did you kind of like this kind of you know your eyes opened up to all this what was going on where do you know remember what age you were or or did that was that when you were young you know like for me mm. i did i i did a lot of, like when growing up i was at ceremonies and i was at you know i i was singing or dancing you know with my family but i think for me when i went to high school and opened up the history book <laughs> and found out what was going on that's when my whole like life changed like i just started you know i was kind of bitter about everybody and you know that's our area you know and just kind of i was kind of you know upset i remember when i was in high school so is there anything I, like that for you oh yeah i have this very distinct memory i was in first grade and it was like November Thanksgiving time right and I mean 
my my mom is from Chile, South America, and my dad is like Seminole here from Florida. Yeah, and so I had a really really unique upbringing of like both my parents' culture, both my parents' languages, and but my mom, even though she was technically the non-native parent, was like very very big in making sure that my sister and I understood like who we were. You know, and she never, she never allowed us to like downplay our identity or anything. She was like, no, like this is who you are Mm -hmm. and this is how you're going to walk the world. And so I remember like, we don't really celebrate Thanksgiving. Like, of course we come together and we celebrate, but it's more of a celebration of life. Yeah. You know, we, we acknowledge the sacrifices and the fight that my ancestors had experienced for us to be here and like we we just that's what we celebrate yeah and so that's our way of rejecting thanksgiving and i just just remember being in this first year grade class with mrs getson and that woman did not like me (laughs) and there was one other seminal kid in my class it was uh trevor and i remember you know we have like activity like it's usually like an easy week at school right right you know it's like a lot of activities like washing charlie brown and stuff like that but i remember there was a day that we had like a thanksgiving lunch with our class and i remember the activity was to create these little like headbands or something and she gets in front of the class and she's like all right everybody like pull out your glow sticks we're gonna have like a craft activity and everybody started like like they passed out the paper that we were supposed to cut out and color and like glue together and it was like a pilgrim hat kind of thing and Mm -hmm. she like stops and she's like but trevor and cheyenne like you can make a feather headband if you want and i was like what (laughs) i look at trevor like our people don't even wear feathers what is this woman talking about and i remember i went home and as a kid you know it's really hard to express Mm-hmm. your feelings and you know you don't understand that anger for instance is a secondary emotion and so i just came home angry from school that day yeah. and you know my mom being this this champion for emotional intelligence i was like like when we were little girls she was like you know like what's wrong what's wrong baby and i'm like you know we just and I, I remember like not even explaining it like this but like trying to explain to her what happened and my mom was so upset for us like for me mm-hmm. and she went to that teacher and told her like that was wrong yeah. and that woman hated it you know this is literally like blonde hair blue eyes like white woman and she just like could not grasp like why what she did was just so inappropriate yes and yeah that was that was like the first i think real time that i realized like okay modern like western westernized education is not only like very very misinformed but it's like you know like this is where the negative stereotypes are already being like pushed on us as young native kids Mm -hmm. and so i dreaded thanksgiving week every single year at school and as i got older i got like a little more vocal about things but i remember by the time i was in high school i had a mouth like a cannon on me and i remember (laughs) just constantly getting into it with my history teachers yeah and it was harder because then as I got even older, I realized like some of these teachers are just literally like doing what they were taught to do, which is like follow this curriculum. But then there was also teachers. And I remember my sophomore year, it was Mr. Strockman, mm-hmm. best teacher I probably ever had in high school. And I don't like I don't know if it was preface that I was like seminal when I went to all these different schools because I went to a bunch of different high schools. But mm-hmm. 
I like he knew and so when he came to me he was like like what I don't remember how he asked me but he kind of like asked for my input mm-hmm. on it and I was like well my family doesn't celebrate Thanksgiving like Thanksgiving's a lie it's yeah. just like, a lie and I was like I have had this battle my whole life and like I just need you to know that if you're gonna make us dress up as program I'm not doing it and I'll yeah. take the zero like I'll take my L <laughs> and that man <laughs> took the time to like mindfully create this I guess like a new like portion of the curriculum whatever but we didn't even touch that history book during like Thanksgiving season oh wow yeah and it was like it made me feel valued you know what I mean but I think it just finally validated like speaking up matters also but that also understanding like some people want to understand it some people just genuinely don't care they don't care to understand they don't want to hear what you have to say yeah and yeah i mean shout out to mr strachman he was like a phenomenal (laughs) teacher and you know he didn't tokenize me in any way he didn't like make me get up and give a presentation like Mm. he was just like everything you guys been taught about thanksgiving is a lie guys like sorry not sorry yeah and he was really cool very progressive he was all about like I'm I'm building guys up to be good community people, not to just pass, you know, the SATs or whatever. Yeah. And he was always like, so it's like, it wasn't just Thanksgiving and like Native people he was mindful about, but he was mindful about so many different things. And so it was genuine and I could see that. Yeah. And, you know, by the time I, I got to college, which was, you know, very weird because I was like a lot older in my class because I had like graduated high school late and started college late. I remember sitting in this class and like, I just gave it to this classroom. Like the teacher kind of gave me the floor and I was just like, yeah, you guys are celebrating a lie. <laughs> and you know what I mean? It, it, just, it just became what it is. And that's where now I feel really fortunate. Um, when I was Miss Indian World, it was the first time that I had ever done, I guess just this like educational presentation slash workshop with local schools Mm -hmm. here in my home state. And it was really cool because it was actually done through a connection um, of, there was this this really cool, I I have to say like, he was just this really cool white guy I went to high school with. And we stayed in contact with each other. We followed each other on Twitter and everything. And when I became Miss Indian World, he hit me up and was like, I want you to present to my eighth grade class. I'm a history teacher. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I want to give you like complete autonomy over this presentation. Like whether you choose to focus on just your tribe or you want to do like a general native history kind of coverage thing, like whatever you want to do, I'm game for. And I will personally like vouch for this to my principal. And I was like, all right, man, like I got you. I'm going to deliver and I'm going to rock these eighth grades, like these eighth graders world. <laughs> and I just gave this super super cool almost like drunk history vibes kind of history presentation to these kids and i'm like reenacting like what i think andrew jackson would be saying to like one of my tribal leaders and you know i i gave them exactly what i was taught as a kid like the true history of florida of the indian removal act of all three seminal wars are people hiding in the everglades but i made it like fun and i was like like you know like acting out these scenes yeah. and stuff like that and i present that every single year now oh wow to that school 
Yeah, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, and, and and they this this last year they opened it up to the entire history department, not just my friend's class. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I sit through sometimes and I think about little first grade Cheyenne, like fighting those feather headbands, yeah. and <laughs> and I'm here now, like educating the masses. Is how I feel sometimes, but you know, it's it's important. And you know, if there's anything that if I don't know if native youth are going to be listening to this, but like if you hear this, like speak up for yourself and you might get there's a, like there's a saying in Spanish it's like be be the wind on someone's back not the spit in their face you're gonna get spit sometimes to yeah. just know that us like your people we're the wind in your back oh yeah you know it means? definitely yeah and it sounds really ugly in, in English I think it's very pretty in Spanish but <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's the gist of it of like you're gonna get that spit in your face sometimes but it's mm. not going to be like that every time. And you're always going to have the wind on your back. Yeah. That's, that's a good saying because, you know, we were always, I mean, like even with Columbus Day, you know, and, and all these other holidays, you know, it's it's just something, you know, you got to tell your kids, you know, like, oh, hey, that's not really what happened, you know. <laughs> but Yeah, Yeah, exactly. so just things it's, like that. So it's not, and I, I tried to also, so, I also do these, these like these almost these same type of workshops with teachers, and I'm really excited because I'm actually working on one currently with a Montessori school in Miami, and I'm going to be doing a two-part workshop with all of their teachers and staff. And the first part being, you know, how do you empower your students, like these young people, with the knowledge to not only be like critical thinkers and like maybe even question these textbooks, but also give them this knowledge to where they're gonna go out into the world. They're gonna become just like these general society members one day. And how how can you give them the power, the knowledge and the tools to be like these mindful and you know, like respectful people? Mm-hmm. You know, cause that's what it is. If you can expose kids to like real history and you know, accurate culture and, and like all these different things, you know, like you expand their mind, you give them the choice to ask questions and to be curious, you know, and so that's the first part of it is like, how do you do that? But just like more focused on Native people, of course. And then the second part is going to be very focused on like land advocacy and like how the Seminole tribe of Florida, as well as the Miccosukee tribe of Indians of Florida have always been at the forefront of fighting for the Everglades for preservation for acknowledgement protections all of these things and there's this really really awesome person by the name of Houston Cypress they're a member of the Miccosukee tribe of Indians and they started this movement which I believe is also a nonprofit. in addition to that um, but it's literally called love the Everglades movement and I think it's beautiful because it's really I think reiterating a lot of what we've also just discussed in this entire conversation, which is the way to get these non-native people to understand why it's important to protect these things is for them to understand why we love it so much. And that's exactly what Houston has been able to accomplish with Love the Everglades. And I had the the honor of doing this like co-collaborated presentation at another school in Miami last year. And you know, I shared a lot of like what our pageantry program was and like some history and things like that. But when Houston did their portion, they, I remember they, they began with playing like a seat, like a recording of just the sounds in the Everglades. And then they started, they, I think they, they, they shared a poem and there was like this mini doc, but it was just so beautiful 
you know, and they were, and I remember asking like, who's been to the Everglades? And only some of them raised their hands. And <laughs> she soon was talking about some of the things that our people traditionally did in the Everglades for fun, you know, like yeah. we'd go gar fishing or we would go after the catfish in the holes and go digging and things like that. And, you know, it's, if you can help somebody understand why you love something so much, why you're so passionate about something, you know, maybe they'll love it and maybe they'll become passionate about it. Yeah. And so that's what the second part of this workshop is going to be is helping them also take that and like reiterate it to their classes so that they can understand why land advocacy and like the, the reason why native and indigenous people are fighting so hard for protections for different lands, like, and how they can like encourage that with their students. And so, you know, there's, there's this like wave of intentionality that I see is happening now. And it's really wild because I have friends that are teachers. My sister is a teacher and it's like, wow, I remember being in middle school with you and like, you know, we're playing on the, on the playground at recess and things like that. And it's like, you're shaping the minds of children. Like you're shaping the minds of our future now. And it's just yeah. like a really weird full circle moment. But you know, it's also just recognizing that younger people you know, like, I, again, I'm 26, like, my generation is now stepping into a lot of these positions as teachers, as educators, as doctors, and all yeah. these different things. And, you know, there is, there's a progression happening, there's mindfulness, there's intentionality, there's, there's all these things. And so I, I genuinely have so much hope for like the future of our communities, for the future of our country, for the future of our land, mm -hmm. because people have access to education now you know like it's as simple as googling things now you don't need to go to college to understand this or even hear the histories yeah. that we have discussed on, on this like this conversation it's like it's accessible is the point and so a lot of sometimes even like people come to me and they ask me to do these presentations and like even the way that they approach me is just very like very surface level you know and i'm like at the very minimum, you could have done your homework. Yeah. You know, like, there, like there's just that little bit of homework you could have done to meet me halfway. Mm -hmm. And that would have let, shown me that like, like you were coming to me in a respectful way, in a way that I knew that whatever it is that you're asking me to present would have even been valued the way that it should have been. Yeah. You know, and so not every opportunity is necessarily a great opportunity. And I do try to be not like gatekeepers but like i try to protect myself you know Cause yeah it's like yeah people can throw dollar signs at me but like what is it for me to go to these schools or to go to these workplaces yeah. if like what i'm literally wasting my breath my time my energy my emotions on is not going to be valued do you turn down a lot of i mean not a lot do you turn down a lot of oh I have absolutely turned people down before yeah. because I felt like I said, just like the way that they have approached me has been so disrespectful mm -hmm. and just so like, Oh, we need somebody to speak for native American heritage month. Like, can you come and present to our staff? And it's like, and that's the whole issue with like, even understanding like our relationship that we have with land. Like this is also the same, the same values that we put into that relationship is the same values that we put into relationships with people as well. You know, like even in the way that you approached me to be on your your podcast, yeah. you know, like we there's there's a protocol to these things. There's a respect 
a respect factor in it there's you know understanding that like yes it is transactional but like it could still be a really beautiful exchange of things you know what i mean yeah and at the end of the day if you're asking me to come in and give like a two-hour presentation that i have to prepare for i have to travel for i have to like literally pull from like my intellectual side my emotional side like the labor of all these things like yes mm -hmm. that needs to be valued you know what i mean but yeah at the, at the very minimum like come at me right you yeah. know what i'm saying like that's all i have yeah and that's why i say not every opportunity is necessarily a great opportunity and it's recognizing that you know there yes there's this beautiful wave of intentionality happening but there's also this really ugly wave of like bare minimum effort to just look good in the light has yeah. also happened you know and so you know, prayer, I, I encourage everybody to like really protect themselves and know that you don't always have to be the spokesperson for something. And, you know, you are allowed to say no, you genuinely are allowed to do that. I, I've done it multiple times. And mm -hmm. I promise like, like valuing and protecting and putting yourself first, like, especially your mental health and your emotional health and your like, like the labor that comes with doing these things sometimes can be very, very overwhelming. Like it genuinely is okay to just say, I don't want to do this for a month or I don't want to do this presentation or yeah. I want to step back from this. Like it's, it's okay to do that. Like you're not disappointing anybody mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, I genuinely believe and I have also like preached the crap out of this, but that yeah. our responsibility, I think as these, native people like navigating this modern world like our responsibility and the way that we can honor our ancestors and our families and future genera generations is by living good lives but how do we live a good life right and that's acknowledging that there's a balance each of us has our own balance and you know it's mind it's body it's spirit it's emotions and you know we sort of discussed this um a little bit earlier today about like yeah we have these nine to five jobs but we also do things on the side that just make us feel really good yeah definitely right and if it's music if it's dancing if it's creating you know whatever it is but like you know what is that balance for you you know and like how how are you honoring yourself and honoring honoring your ancestors by living a good life mm -hmm. yeah and it's something that you have to you know like for my kids who are you know they're adults these days but you know it, they would say, you know, well, I was at ceremony all weekend, but all my friends were, you know, uh, at the pool or, you know, or they went, they were getting Dutch bros and I missed out on that. And I'm like, you know, that's just, <laughs> that's the way it is. You know, it, you have to choose yourself, you know, and I said, I always tell them, I don't mind, you know, which one you go to, but, you know, um, it, what makes you feel better and they always show up you know to they always come to ceremony and they, they they miss a lot of you know things with their own friends you know and so that's just something that we all have to do. i told them i deal with that you know all my life you know so it's just something that you guys have to deal with too you know you got to you, you walk exactly. into you walk in two worlds so it just yes we, we always yes uh, and i i i truly like dislike that saying so much but it's really hard to think of another way to even kind of acknowledge like what it is to be like a native person mm -hmm. like living today because it is you know they say like oh we rock converse and we rock moccasins yeah like oh whatever <laughs> you know but it's 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 hard you know we we sacrifice our time and 
um, you know, to show up to ceremony or, you know, it, it, I definitely understand that as a young person because mm. there's so many times that I feel like I've missed, like you have FOMO, you know, that fear of missing out. It's mm-hmm. like, I yeah. wanted to go to Dutch Bros. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's later on, you see the value and like what it is to, to, to make those sacrifices. And, yeah. you know, it's... It ain't easy, man. It ain't easy being native, no, is it? It's not. That's all I'm saying. You know, just in survivor mode every day, and, and you're dealing with uh, land, and you know, people don't understand things, and it's just you know, you you don't feel like explaining sometimes. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. a lot of work. It ain't easy, <laughs> but I will say it's very beautiful. Yeah, like, you know, I I love this whole idea of like being obnoxiously and unapologetically native and indigenous because. You know, like, look at us. We got, like, beadwork. Our, our regalias are absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are people that are so deeply based in and founded and, and led by community and by these value systems that mm-hmm. predate colonialism and these teachings that predate colonialism. And, you know, what what is it to to, like, walk that life of honoring like honoring those things and mm-hmm. and so you know it's hard sometimes relatives but we're good we're out here we're doing good things <laughs> yeah yeah definitely well you know that's that's why when i like i was saying when we got we started talking about the podcast it was just all about the land acknowledgement you know and and um just dealing with that it's just it's a big part of our lives so and to hear you you know with your speech in front of I don't know how many non-natives you had in that audience or natives, but I mean, I was just like straight up, you know, this is our land, you know, that you're on, you know, and oh, we, we're letting you enjoy it, and, you know, but it's our land, you know, but mm-hmm. that's one of the things oh, that we deal with context, here. Oh, and to give context, the only native people in that audience were literally my coworkers. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and like I, I like I have to say, writing the speech in itself was very, very intense, but mm. presenting that speech was just whole other thing i remember the mayor of miami beach was there like nancy pelosi was there i spoke right before i spoke right before al roker even and you know dan porterfield who is like the ceo of the aspen institute and you know like there was a lot of very like influential people in that room and that's where i knew and then, I mean, to make it even funnier, too, I had gotten invited to this really, really, really cool, like, Native event slash opportunity. And I turned it down to make sure that I was at this this climate conference to give this land acknowledgement. Because I was like, oh, it's just a land acknowledgement. Like, it's not a big deal. You know, yeah. like, I, I get asked to do those a lot. And my, 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 my friend, who's also my coworker, was straight up like, no, you don't get it. Like, mm-hmm. the people that are going to be at this thing... Like, this is like a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity. And I was like, all right, I guess. Yeah. And I remember I got there and I seen like Nancy Pelosi with her security team. And I was like, what the hell? Like, yeah. why am I here of all people? Yeah. And, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, like the stars aligned and the universe made it happen. And it was like, I, my whole team is majority native, but I'm the only seminal. Yeah. And they just so happened to have chosen Miami Beach as the host city for the climate change conference. And my executive director, Nikki Petrie, straight up like messaged the team that was planning it. And also, I believe the CEO was like, 
one of my like my and my people on my team is from the Seminole Tribe of Florida. She's from South Florida. You need to give her like a time slot to give this land acknowledgement because anything less than that is unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah, and she straight up like championed wow. me for that. that and then, that's awesome. Well, I mean, if anybody yeah. if anybody hasn't heard it yet, you just go to you. It's on your YouTube channel, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Is. Just and yeah. Just type in Cheyenne Kippenberger and put land acknowledgement. I think and it, it should. Yeah, you'll I think pop it should. right I up. Mean, I hope I tagged it the right way. On yeah. YouTube. I ain't all YouTube savvy, but but yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I like I said, I put so much love and thought into that that speech, and mm-hmm. I remember writing it. I was just bawling my eyes out. Like yeah. And not just like regular tears, but like, you know, when you just like really feel something like in the mm-hmm. pit of your stomach, like, yeah, I just felt so much like pain and sadness and anger when I was writing that speech. And yeah. I just remember saying like, don't cry on stage, don't cry on stage, yeah. don't cry on stage. And at the end, you can like start to hear me kind of like start. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, don't do it. But I, I don't know, like those people, what I said in that speech, those people needed to hear, yes. genuinely speaking. And if I... I, I wouldn't do anything differently. I would do it exactly the way that I had done it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, like the message that I wanted to be taken away from that was yeah. that they understood that this was like a, an issue that we all needed yeah. to be, you know, behind and that they needed to acknowledge that everything that they get to enjoy in their lives came from violence committed on our people. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and 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 that's the that's the funny part too because I usually have my YouTube. I just have it on. Um, I go through Oak Flat on YouTube, and I just usually just play the playlist, and then I'll just like you know if I'm working on something like Rigan or Regalia, and you're in that playlist of the Oak Flat playlist. Whoever <laughs> put you in there, and I was like, whoa! I mean, because I you know I follow you on Instagram. I never realized you were doing that either. You know, and I was like, whoa! As so I stopped and looked, and I was like, I'm gonna rewind this again. So. Yeah, that's how I caught my attention was you were in that Oak Flat. Whoever put you in Oak Flat playlist on hey, video was like, I ever did that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah. So that's how we got, you know, try to get a hold of you and stuff like that. But yeah, that was awesome. That's something that, you know, all the youth need to hear, you know, like what what you were saying on there. So that was, that was a great speech. Oh, it was it was a labor of love, definitely. And I had, you know, so many people in mind, like my my community. I was thinking about like my grandma's grandma even and it was like I said, I feel like it just all lined up to where it was meant to be that because those people needed to hear it in like the rawest, like non coddling form, you know, and <laughs> I remember having that conversation even with my coworkers where I was like, I was struggling trying to write it because I, like I said, I thought I was, it was coming off too angry. And I remember even reading it to my sisters. I read it to my parents Mm -hmm. and they were all like, no, leave it exactly the way it is because, and I would give this preface of like, I don't want to coddle white people when I write this. I don't want to protect their feelings. I don't want them to be like, oh, like, it's okay. Like, I know you're the answer. Like you are the you know, like the descendants of colonizers, but it's okay. It's like, yeah. no, 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 no. Like every, all the benefits that you reap came from violence and like attempted genocide. And yeah. let's, let's start with that recognition. <laughs> and then we will move into like this land acknowledgement. Yeah. Right. And no, I, I, I refused to do anything but be that angry native mm-hmm. lady in that moment. No, well, that was awesome. <laughs> I appreciate it, and I'm so yeah. glad that that pops up on YouTube. Yeah. I remember 
there's like a part where you upload them and it's like tags and i was like yeah. what are these tags is this supposed to be like hashtag yeah and so i just put like land acknowledgement yeah and then my name <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's on there yeah so, oh sick i'm glad is well is there anything that you're working on uh, or anything coming up or any events that you're going to or anything coming up for you um let's see my my year is literally booked up and i'm really really excited i'm finishing my program with unity which is united national tribal indie or what is it yeah united national indian tribal youth um i am a peer guide with their healing indigenous lives initiative which is a program like very focused on advocacy and like the empowerment of youth that have been affected by um, the juvenile justice um, system and i'm going to be finishing that program this year which i'm really excited for we're going to be hosting these workshops across different regions mm -hmm. um i actually just got selected for a fellowship and i'll be going to germany in oh October. nice yes i'm so excited right um we have some really, really awesome projects happening at the Center for Native American Youth. Um, and if you're not familiar with CNAY, I totally encourage you to check us out on our social medias because that's low-key my job. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. I still do a lot to do with pageantries. And so any ladies that are maybe looking for some motivation or coaching, I do that. I also work with different programs on their pageant productions as well as their programs. I love, love working with contestants and I have this mm. really beautiful, like mindful um, workshop that I like to host with them. So I have a few of those scheduled for the rest of the year. Um, mm. But I'm also like trying to be really mindful for myself too. Like I am on the road probably 80% of the time. And so I'm trying to make sure that I'm, I'm scheduling time in between for me to just like enjoy being a 26 year old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so, that's also in the works but um you know i'm really excited i think this native american heritage month is going to be super mm -hmm. super cool i have like great partnerships with local schools here in miami and in broward county happening that i'm excited for and yeah i mean more yeah. than anything i i feel like i have this like really weird online presence because like i have my instagram which is like very mm -hmm like focused on like some of the cool stuff that I get, but like my Twitter presence is completely unhinged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love Twitter. Like that's my thing, you know, so yeah, Twitter, Twitter is definitely my social platform of choice. Yeah. Um, but I do have a website. I'm trying to be more on top of like sharing the things that I do on there, but it's literally Cheyenne Kippenberger .com. Yes. I have a YouTube channel, Insta, Twitter, Facebook. I am, definitely a social media princess and so i'll put all those yeah. links on the podcast on the um episode um but yeah the the twitter uh i always tease my family i'll be like oh my twitter is my you know where i make you know my like native humor comes out my instagram <laughs> is my traditional and fun stuff and then my <laughs> my snap is my happy hour <laughs> so <What? laughs> Like, you know, that's like, private. So like tradition. Like, Twitter me is real me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you got to, you know, I got three different personalities on, you know, so they take their own platform. But yeah. 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 I definitely like the, the Twitter you have on Twitter and then your Instagram. But yeah, most of my, I like the native because you realize like all the native humor is all the same, you know, especially on Twitter. You know, like when you say something uh, that's humorous, native, I mean, like, I get it right away. I was like, oh, we all must have the same humor, you know, so. I don't know, definitely. Like, native humor is top tier. And if you want to say, like, raw native humor, go on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 
I love Twitter. And so, okay. um, but, you know, more than anything, I, I just really, really want to express my gratitude. I appreciate, you know, you asking me to be on here. I, I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our connection literally came off of Twitter and Instagram. And so there is power in social networking, yes. y'all. Yes, but, for you know, sure. I, I love the podcast. Make sure you guys follow the, the pages and, you know, support the message that mm-hmm. Uncle Fox here is trying to share because it is you. important. Yeah. And, you know, thank you so much for this space that you've created. Oh, you know, no. Thank, a lot of work. Thanks for the time. Companies. And hopefully, we, uh, you know, because in February, like every February we have, uh, and we go to Oak Flat for um, spiritual run. So. You know, hopefully we can see you out there one of these one of these times. So it was. Th- oh, uh, that would be sick. Yeah, yeah, great talking oh, to you. Oh, cool. Oh, all right. Thank you. I well, thank you for it. your time and um, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Shanabha Shop, Mado. All right, I'll talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Check. Well, you know, I want to thank everybody for listening to the the podcast. Um, you need to really follow uh, Cheyenne. She does a lot of work, um, especially the land acknowledgement. Um, it's always, always down for her community and for her Native people. And it's, we're all fighting the same thing. It's all, it's all the same for all the United States. We're always fighting for our land and our water. And so I hope that uh, you enjoy the show and realize that you know we're all fighting for the same thing. And I'll see you guys in the next show. Thank you.